Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. What are we trying to do? We're trying to take heads away from headspace and heads and shoulder space. If I'm coming, chasing you from behind and I'm grabbing my arms around you, my head and your head are not in the same space. My head and your shoulders aren't in the same space. So therefore, it's it's probably going to be more okay because, again, my action coming from behind is going to try and take you to ground. So I'm going to slide down, not slide up. Rugby Coach Weekly presents The Coaching Knife where we cut to the root, cut out the fluff and challenge the masters of their domain to cut to the chase. Hello and welcome to The Coaching Knife, when we cut to the root of the matter. In this episode, we speak to Keith Lewis, founder of RugbyReferees.net, the leading online community for rugby referees across the world. Focusing on refereeing the new tackle height laws, we're going to cut the root on what referees will be looking for next season. Keith, are you ready for the knife? Yeah, let's go for it. Hi, Dan. If referees already had a hard job, is the new tackle law going to make it harder? I think any change in, in law or approach to refereeing is going to make life harder as people get used to it. And that's both on, on our side with a whistle, but also for the, the players who have to get their heads around all this and, and actually execute what we're, everyone's trying to achieve. And, and the coaching staff who've got to work hard in between sessions to get to get the players to do what they're what they want them to do and in a, in a way that's compliant with the the change case so yeah it's look it's, it's going to be hard I think any change is difficult but I think with enough thinking about it and enough getting our heads around it we can we can get where we need to be okay now if it was the 5022 or the break foot these are pretty obvious what they're what's going to happen yeah there must be a sliding scale of hard to not so hard where does this rank um, I think with the the rollout, we've got to be, be clear that we're talking about England here because there are, of course, there are different trials in in other countries. Depending on who might be listening to this, where there are operate operating going to be operating at different heights and with different approaches. So yeah, look, I think it's it's going to be towards the seven or eight as we as we get our heads around it because yeah. there's been a lot of chat and a lot of conversation and thinking about it. But until we actually get onto a field and see it happening, we've got to correlate the the pictures that we've all been thinking about and the perhaps some of the angst and the worry that we've had with what's delivered in front of us and that's the same refereeing 101 that's the same playing 101 we've got to see see what turns out in front of us and get through it but i think as, as we start to get see that the the clips that the governing bodies are wanting us to see this that the approach that people are wanting us to take how we're being to be asked to referee it and then we get on the field then i think that's when we start to to see the reality of it so there's two things in there. And one, you, we're talking, obviously, we're we're English-centric, but I yep. mean, this world, there's a world aspect to it. I My sense is we don't have to worry too much about the exact tackle height. It's more about the sense of what it's trying to achieve. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked before about pictures and what people are trying to do. Let, let's, when we're talking about this, we have to remember why we're doing it and why we're being asked to do it. And that's to get heads out of headspace because heads on heads is where we get concussions, we get long-term outcomes um, and we, we, we want to try and make the game as safe as we can okay i'm just, making... just stopping you there is it, it, we're going to be clear also it's not saying that there won't be any it's not going to stop concussions because you can get no it's not just knocking your head into someone's knee or hip it's take one of the concussion yeah 
areas out of the game as much as possible. Reduce, reducing the risk of the higher. And whenever you look, you look at the data that's come out, that there are sliding scales of, of high risk, low risk, medium risk. The, the, he, the head on head space is where the high risk is. There is still a risk as we come down that scale and on the physical heads, heads on to other body parts. There is still a risk. We're a contact game. We have to recognize that and, and remember that what the pitches that we want to see players doing and we want to see as re- to referee those tackles in the future are getting heads out of headspace and heads out of shoulder space. And so if, we, if so we're if looking we, at so that, we should be in a, in a reasonable space. Yeah, sorry to interrupt there. So yeah. that is absolutely key for uh, us as uh, referees. So obviously, uh, from your point of view, many years in refereeing expertise, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but lots of referees were, won't have that experience. Yeah. So we've got to give them or they've got to sense what they're looking for quite quickly. And that sort of head headspace thing is probably the number one thing that you should be imagining or looking for. Yeah, I mean, forget the, the challenges that we hear all the time is I don't know where the sternum is. That's the wrong, it's the wrong question and the wrong and the wrong concern. Think about getting heads and shoulders into that belly, the soft spaces. If it's if it's soft and it moves, and for some of us there's moves and softer than it should be. But that that's where we want the tackles to be heading into because that's where it's inherently safer for everybody else. So yeah, we, we've got to get that picture right and we want to see both sides of the equation making sure that they're they are making the ball carrier can be tackled and that the, the tackler, tacklers have the space to get in and make a, a safer legal tackle. Right. So with the first thing we're going to be looking at is uh, where I mean, let's just put, take the ball carrier to one side and uh, to not not concentrate too much on them. The tackler there, when they arrive, we think that as long as their head is nowhere near the head of the ball carrier, good things are going to be happening. Better thing, better things are going to be happening. Better, things we also, we happen. want, better than better than than it was. And I think if we all picture those rugby collisions that we've seen across all levels over the last few years where we've had players literally upright and upright chase crashing into each other that's not what we want to be seeing anymore we want to be seeing that the tackler having get coming down now whether that's a knee dip whether it's a hip dip whether it's a, a shoulder dip all the things and again we're, we're looking at pictures as we're having to do it we want to bring get, make sure that tackler is coming down in some way shape or form and that's gonna be easy for some it's gonna be harder for some um, but some effort to get down and into those softer spaces is what we're going to be looking for. Now, someone said to me the other day, I've got a six foot eight lot forward. That's the end of their... Re- well, look, they've always been six foot eight forwards tackling five foot nothing scrum halves. That's, that's what rugby is, is built around. And, and yes, it might be harder, but they've been doing it for years. And, and if you can get down to shoulder height, which is the, the current tackle, and the sternum is not a million miles lower than that. And that's why we kind of want to have that conversation now. If you are an incredibly tall rugby player and you are going to be tackling, you need to think a little bit harder and and, and get out and do some training as to what you might need to, how, how you might need to moderate your technique now. As soon as you bring it into our world as referees, we're potentially creating a problem. So yes, it is going to be hard. I'm not going to say, like, I don't think it's going to end rugby. You and I don't think it's going to end rugby. Yeah. It's going to be tricky for some, as it's tr- as it's tricky right now for some. But if we if they're making that effort and they're, they're painting the right picture, then I think we'll, we'll be I say we'll, we'll be in the in the right sort of place. And also, we have to recognise that the game is for all shapes and sizes, and uh, you're going to have some advantages. And a six foot eight. Lock forward is going to give you some different advantages and they're going to bring those to the game and uh, other parts where uh, they've got to uh, modify and uh, find their role. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of ways to bring a ball carrier to ground. You you, you get low and, 
and sort of chop tackle type thing as long as you execute that safely or you 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 start low and let them run into you and, and take them down as you go there are other ways of doing it so uh, it's interesting you talk about the other ways because the next one is uh, that someone said to me the other day so what happens if someone grabs you above the whatever the law level yeah. is so let's say i grab you uh, around about the chest with my arms where does it start to become into uh, going to penalize you that's a good question. I think that's that's one we need to wait for the rollout from the, the, the RFU as to exactly how they want us to do that. I think we, we've got to ask the question of ourselves, is, is it a tackle? Because if it's just a grab, you are allowed to go for the ball. The RFU have, have said that in England. So the ball is, is fair game. If you want to go and rip the ball... But I've grabbed, your, I've grabbed your shirt. I've grabbed yeah. your shirt. So, and I suppose in a sense, uh, and it's obviously not on you, this is mm. the concerning thing is that there is something there, which is quite obviously something which happens a lot in the game where players will grab somebody by the shirt and it will be above the, the, the tackle line. That's not yet a tackle. And yet we don't have an answer yet for that. So, um, so I think what, what literally what, what will happen next and what happens next will determine where we go. So if that grab turns into a, a strong grab around the chest and above the sternum, then we're into we're into high tackle territory. Right, if okay. that grab becomes a throw to the ground, again, providing it's safe, and I'm not a huge fan of that, mm. particularly in, in age-grade rugby, we see a lot of throw to the ground, judo-y type stuff, not fan, because that's unsafe in a different way. I think we we've got to just hold our breath slightly and 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 see what play how it how those incidents will play out. Um, I think the the intent of the player if they're going for a grab is probably needs to grab a bit lower because then margin of error. If you're going to grab a towards a shoulder or a bicep and that goes wrong, where's the rest of you going to flow in behind? And that that tackle that contact point with the rest of your body could well be taking you into dangerous territory. But we're, we're, the key thing is we're grabbers where the shoulder ends up is, yeah. is what we're, is what we're looking for. Yeah. Now, uh, this is going to be quite obvious from a front-on tackle. A side-on tackle, it's they're going to have to be coming un, at least under the arm. So that's more obvious. Now, what happens if someone uh, grabs you from tackles from behind? I mean, again, the amount of these tackles, we won't know until the game starts. How do you see that playing out? So this goes back to the principle. What are we trying to do? We're trying to take heads away from head space and heads and shoulder space. If I'm coming, chasing you from behind and I'm, I'm going to grab to tackle this this is great this is a great visual for a podcast but you you can hopefully your listeners are are picturing me do that i'm literally grabbing my arms around you my head and your head are not in the same space Mm. my head and your shoulders aren't in the same space so therefore it's probably going to be it's probably going to be more okay because again my action coming from behind is going to try and take you to ground so i'm going to slide down not slide up okay right so i'm just going to do a very very short thing on uh the ball carry tackle height because for yeah. some some unions is going to be the case so the the rfu uh england england rugby are saying when the the ball carrier is coming towards the tackle if they dip late yeah. so just before the tackle they are then creating danger for the tackler so yeah. as long as the tackler is low enough yeah who, who instigates the head contact and what is it Okay, so if they dip, but there's no there's no head contact, that's not that's okay. Or if they dip, there's automatically going to be a penalty. I say, I think if if they dip and that causes head contact, we're into head contact process. Okay, um, but if they so, dip, which is the same like, as it always has been. Yeah, if they dip, they dip and no head contact happens, then we're all around. 
I, th- I think that's that's one for to, to keep a close eye on as the, as the rollout starts to happen. Because I think there's uh, as players charge in and perhaps they take themselves to ground rather than to make contact, they are avoiding that contact. I think the aim of this is to not make attack, not not make a ball carrier impossible to tackle. And um, so I think we, we we're going to see some examples, um, and we have to calibrate this as we go. In the first few weeks, um, as we're seeing these incidents happen at all types of level, seeing what people are doing, I think if, if a player is charging in and they're taking themselves to ground that's not what the game's about games we play by players on their feet all that all the mantra that we, we we always talk about across the area of the game sometimes with a wry smile on our faces depending <laughs> on what level we're watching but we're, we're trying to keep people on their feet and, and to make sure that they can be tackled safely if we've got players who are not doing that and they're making themselves untackleable and they're taking themselves to ground is that in the principle of what they're trying to achieve and then maybe we might need to calibrate that after the first couple of weeks as we see what the rollout says what we're being encu- what we're be- how we're being encouraged to referee how you're being encouraged to coach and what the players end up doing is, is one where I think we're going to have to see what the pitches look like yeah and of course uh, we won't see it on television because the the televised matches won't be in in this new tackle height correct and and that is look that's that's a, a big old discussion that is had around the world at different levels the elite rugby is played at a different literally at a different level with higher levels of safety principles and protocols built into it and player welfare stuff built into it we we don't operate there we operate um, on a pit, we're lucky if there's a first aider present. We're lucky if there's somebody with a sponge. We're lucky to get 15 against 15, the referee. So that we're, we're we're operating in, in real base rugby territory. So we have to try and make sure what we see and 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 referee and play in is, is as safe as we can. And there's always been a debate about TV rugby, isn't there? So, mm. But they get away with it on TV. Uh, and rugby, again, look at, looking back in history, I think rugby had that conversation when the TMO was introduced, mm. 1999, the first time the TMO was in play. And that's the point you can look at and go, that's where we stopped having the same game. Because I've, I've never refereed a game with a TMO. I don't think you've probably played in a game with a TMO. Mm very fortunate to have been a TMO but that's a different conversation but most of most people playing rugby are, are below those levels and it is a different game because of those the amount of cameras that are on site so it is a different game I think we have to accept it's a different game but try and keep the, the core of it together that's a that's a separate podcast for different players but. yeah and it'll be interesting if you have an assistant referee whether they will call in the high tackles or not what's uh, what's the thought on that yeah that's a good question well, again you, this can, is... you will have that some some referees will have that so I, I think that the Generally speaking, ARs are looking at foul play. So if, if they've got a clear and obvious high tackle and the laws that are being operated on that game, then I think they would have that. To, to, it falls within their powers to, to contribute to that into the referee. The referee may say, look, when it comes to tackles, I referee the tackle, which is what I would always have done. I, I don't want ARs coming in as a, as a operating at that slightly higher community level, saying hands on the floor, all that kind of stuff. That's ARs refereeing the tackle, and, and, a, and a tackle is predominantly to be there to be dealt with by the referee where they are. That said, it is foul play. This is a foul play issue, according to the RFU law variations on this one. So, um, yeah, it brings the ARs into play as well. Right, Again, so, so we're talking about pitches, aren't we? So yeah. we need to make sure that the pitches that the players are presenting means takes the AR out of it. Yeah, so uh, just a, a quick summary of just where we've got to there. So, so the uh, we're looking uh, mainly at where the heads are. That that makes a massive difference. The ball carrier, if the ball carrier changes their height, 
if you think that that is can that has caused the either the potential for a head contact or the tackler is unable to they've had, they've put they had to put their shoulder in the place then you penalize the ball carrier but if they dip generally and nothing happens then it's fine to go on now yeah, I, think- I, want, I wonder just i just want to just get this one i wonder whether uh, in order to change the ball carrier's attitude to the tackle, that we start to penalise that just generally, that late dip. Could well be. Could well be a variation that the RFU look at from a local. I mean, we, we hear a conversation of phrases like a player, a ball carrier is allowed to brace for impact. Mm. And I, I think that's an interesting picture. So I, again, you mentioned this, I've been referring for a long time. I, I know the difference between a player who is dipping into contact and a player who's bracing themselves for contact. So again, if, if you're a referee listening to this, try and picture, literally get a mental picture of what the, those the difference between those two is. And I think it's probably a, a, a speed of action as the ball carrier is coming in. They're either bracing for contact because they can see somebody coming in and that's a, a sort of firming up, getting ready to do the next thing bit, or they're trying to get momentum and go through the tackle, in which case they're they're dipping into it. But I think, again, that's a calibration issue I think we're all going to have to do and and marrying up those perhaps mental pictures that we've just built there and perhaps if you're thinking about the first time between what we then see when we get onto the field. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we, we're we recognising, we're, we're talking about it now, we're going to take take a bit of time to get used to yeah. it. Everyone's got to buy into that that time and they need to give uh, the referees a little bit more uh, uh, rope than they, they may be. Rope, maybe that's the wrong <laughs> for this. Don't give us any more uh, rope. Yeah, no, but they need the let less rope. Now, the, the the next thing is that let's say I'm uh, I'm refereeing uh, under sixteens or under seventeens, and it's you, generally you're not looking to dip into your hand pocket to get yellows and reds out that that much. Now, maybe in senior rugby it's slightly different. How are you going to? Uh, can you give some suggestions how you might manage that in terms of the 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 system of working through so there's a very by the way there's a very good um graphic from the rfu and i think there are other graphics available on uh the protocols so can you give us sort of um an outline of what what you would be going through your head if you were in that position i think it's the same as we as we've always had we've always had the sort of the high force action from a defender that's causing a dangerous outcome now that we've got we've always been sort of head and shoulders issue and now we're just going to lower that point as well so i think if we've got a, a tackler who is out of control and it has that big old swing that comes in that contact now is going to be around the the chest height anywhere above there i think we're playing the same game it's that it's that force of arrival that using the, the head contact process terminology the sort of degree of danger and the forces involved those are still the the, the processes that we're going to have to go through as referees to figure out to determine the, the level of sanction now, again subject to, to what we we see in the next couple of months from the as the comms it gets rolled out whether we're being asked to stick to kind of yellow card for the old offenses so yellow shoulders and up and kind of penalty only for sort of shoulder to to, to sternum as we as we get our as we do this calibration exercise and we get going i think that feels like the right sort of area if you, if it's going to be still above the shoulder that's massively out of kilt with where we're being asked to do so therefore we're heading into tackles above the head and neck territory and therefore we're into we're into cardable offenses i actually think just going back to your original point question about youth rugby mm. um, i actually think this will become more difficult for youth rugby because they those i mean i've got a 14 and a 12 year old in my house 
um, and they watch a lot of TV rugby and they try and emulate what they see. I think that's where we may have a, a challenge as coaches. And and when we, we do that, often those sorts of age grades don't get society referees. They get club coaches or club referees who perhaps haven't been, aren't as active elsewhere. So I think that might be actually a pinch point that we need to um, be very, keep a very close eye on over the, over the start of the season. Um, but look, um, we're trying to get as as a, as a principle for for youth rugby, we're trying to get more people to play more rugby, and and trying to make do it in a safe way. So if you've got players who are uh, who are coming in consistently high and late, then they need to be refereed and they need to be sanctioned if they if they don't learn the lesson. But I think we've got a youth youth in England, youth rugby in England has always uh, is, is armpit and armpit to sternum is a couple of inches at best. So it should be um, it should be easy for the players to to get themselves sorted out but they've got to bear in mind for for coaches who have who operate in that age group that they're watching stuff on tv and you that, again that's a that's a common thing that you'll you'll be familiar with that many of your listeners will be uh familiar with and how, how they coach that out of the, the visual to pitch cycle that goes on right well keith i mean we've uh i mean we can obviously go on for this uh for a long time but we've covered some of the key things i think the most interesting thing for me is this calibration period it's going to be uh it's going to be not specific to the english it's going to be across everybody and we've got to be patient work work within the principles which the, the, the key one is this headspace this headspace idea so that's been really interesting uh so uh, as i said uh keith has been refereeing for a, i'm not sure if i'm allowed to say how many how many years keith you've been refereeing? Oh, i did my course i did my first referees course on my 18th birthday so that's north of 25 years now all right. Okay. And as I said, he's founder of referee, rugbyreferees.net. And if you want to be part of that community, I mean, you just can't come on as a, a player or a spectator. You have to be a referee, but it's a fantastically supportive space for referees to talk about some of the, the intricacies of the game on one hand, but also some of the difficulties around the things that we've been talking about and how to manage people. Uh, his philosophy is helping people to become better referees, no matter what level they are. Uh, you can contact him on rugbyreferee.net or Keith Lewis Rugby on Twitter or LinkedIn. And um, as I said, part, very much part of the referees community trying to develop referees. So please get in contact with us. So I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions. Just, just before yeah, you go. do, yeah, I just have one point. We often talk about referee communities and that's brilliant. We do have a brilliant referee community. So if you are a referee, come and play there. This is bigger than referees. We have to make sure that the calibration that we've just talked about isn't referees calibrating with other referees. Mm. It's referees calibrating with coaches and players and the rugby community because we can't, this isn't a referee only matter. We've got, we've got to do this together. And the great, I was on a, on a call last night with, within my society just to say, what, how are we going to go out to our, our community in Hampshire, to the clubs, to the age grade coaches, to the age grade referees, to make sure that we're having this, these conversations together so that when it comes to September, October, and we're a couple of weeks into this, we all go, yeah, this is going well, or this is not going well, or we've got it right there and we've got it right there. We've got to get that calibration against amongst the whole rugby community. So uh, just an important point we didn't really touch yeah. on. Yeah. Okay. So how are we going to do that? I think, look, we've just got to I think we've just got to literally get together and the forums that exist, there's been quite a few as part of the consultation process that's been that's led to this point within England and other unions as well. There's been coaching and free communities got have got together in, in clubs up and down the country. Um, hopefully that will keep going as we as we start to roll those out and there'll be key points of contact in the refereeing world in the coaching world in the playing world and i think that just has to be part of that and if it's not i'd encourage anyone as part of the uh, england rugby setup to make sure it does happen or those in the in the sort of your regional areas to, to make sure those conversations are happening yeah so let's keep those conversations uh, very much alive and not uh, not silo ourselves off and yeah. 
Absolutely not silo uh, ourselves off as uh, as referees as well. Okay, so some uh, quick fire questions. So yeah. uh, you sort of alluded to your age. So uh, Keith, how old are you? Oh, I've just turned 45, much to my annoyance, because I thought I was 44 until my wife told me otherwise. <laughs> All right, okay. Yeah, p- people who like uh, have an invested interest in you being older will tell you <laughs> how old you are. doesn't have to be a coaching book, but what uh, coaching book is beside your bedside? Like I'm, I'm legally obliged to say that I keep a copy of the uh, laws, uh, the law book, um, close to hand. Um, but a variation that I'm reading at the moment is actually uh, it's called it's book by Paul Williams, and it's called Rugby has and I'll edit here. Rugby has fecking laws, not rules, and um, mm. it's asterisks out on the front cover. But it's well worth it. It's very funny, and I play that a lot. So I've got a lot of that plowing through that at the moment. It's it's a it's a, fu- it's a fun read about rugby and laws, which is not something you could say very many people could say very often. Yeah, Derek Robinson used to write some very good books. Yeah, with Ed, Ed Morrison on my shelf, I've got a load of referee books up here, and um, he wrote a book with uh, with Ed Morrison a couple of years, uh, well, a couple of years ago, a long time ago now. But I certainly read that when I was coming through the art of refereeing. And, and by the way, uh, thoroughly recommend Paul Williams' uh, writing as uh, in yeah. general, not just that book. Uh, which coach teacher are you loving at the moment? Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm. I'm not a coach, but I'm following a lot of the the coaches that I I kind of come across in in the day job. So I'm just. Giselle Mather is, is a fantastic coach that I know quite well. I do some work with her. Um, and I, I first heard her present at a Hampshire referee conference probably 12, 13 years ago. And how she took a bunch of other coaches and taught them a bunch of stuff, kept, held them in the palm of her hand. And I've seen what she's done with Wasps and now with, with what she's doing at Ealing. But um, she's a, a great rugby person and, and and a trailblazer before she even that was even a thing. So, yeah, got a lot of time for Giselle. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, there I said I was at university with Giselle. So uh, that, that good uh, stock. <laughs> yeah but luckily or luckily for her she was in a different different part of the university right uh, which uh, team or sports subject would you love to coach at the moment I'll stick, I'll stick to refereeing and two obvious groups so it's rugby world cup coming up I'd love to be in that room of, of referees there and mm. um, but also and I have I'm privileged to have been in some of the, the, these rooms with the women's community um WXV is rolling out and there's some real big opportunities there <clears throat> um, in the growth of the women's game for women's match officials to come through not just the, the ones the names that we already know but with the league the the wxv two and three there'll be a good opportunity for new referees to come through there and that brings great opportunity for them but also for, for rugby to grow as well so that, those are two rooms i wouldn't mind being in who's inspired you most oh man uh look i put my age and refereeing together and as, as i started i was I did my first course in the WRU and Clayton Thomas and Derek Bevan were part of that yeah. coaching weekend. And you just, they were just unassuming, quiet referees that everyone respected and got on with the job, weren't afraid to make the big decisions. And, uh, Paul Honest was the other guy. He was kind of New Zealand Kiwi referee, very quiet, but was always where you needed him to be. And then if I look, I, I met Wayne Barnes when he was 19 and I was 20 up at the University of Lancaster when I was refereeing at the team he brought up and we've we've stuck fairly close to them and you can't not admire everything that he's done for the game as an inspiration to, to me and to, to any other referees picking up the whistle. And finally, just said when you were 20, so what would you tell your 20-year-old self when you were standing next to... Uh, Wayne Barnes. <laughs> I probably said this at the time, but uh, we didn't we didn't know each other that, that well at that point. We'd, we'd both start in our refereeing journeys and look where we ended up. Uh, I, I think I'd just say, look, listen, learn and play the game. And play the game can mean whatever you want it to mean. I mean, refereeing, you have to, in order to get to the top of refereeing, as in any ladder, you have to play the, 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 the off-field game as well as the on-field game. And that all comes to, you have to learn, you have to listen to the right people, even if you disagree with them, learn from them. Um, and you kind of, as you develop all your games, 
the more you play, the more you understand, the more you'll end up getting where you want to get to. So, yeah, so learn, listen and play the game. OK, Keith, that's been brilliant. Thank you very much. Some great insights there. Pleasure. Been good chat. Good. And thank you very much.